Welcome to another riveting episode of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. Today is April 13th, 2022, so be sure to check your calendars. The economic landscape may have shifted in this internet time machine. It continues to be an exciting time to be an economist. We are now a month out from the publication of our March forecast, and there are a lot of things to talk through from getting from that publication to today. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter. But it's a team that makes that newsletter happen every quarter. It's from outside partners and our center's own research staff. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor here at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topic. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works with the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Audrey Barber is our center's graduate assistant as she nears completion of her MBA program. She's been with us for several years and has contributed many articles to the forecaster, as well as playing a key role in several of our research projects. Let's start today with an obvious place. The news has been filled with forecasts and suggestions of whether we'll see a renewed surge of COVID-19. Bethany, I have two questions on this front. First, do we expect another big wave? or does this potentially play out differently? And second, what does this mean from a forecast perspective? Well, so Europe is currently going through a second Omicron wave. Now the US is not necessarily expected to go through a second wave, but that still is possible. Now, one thing we have to think about is that our case counts are increasingly unreliable because many states, we're lucky here in Washington where we still have free testing, but most people in the US are not getting free testing. So those case counts are going to be increasingly unreliable as as we continue forward. But either way, we don't expect more huge impacts on the economy, at least in the U.S. A lot of states are sort of done with COVID and done restricting things, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still impacts. We can definitely see in our quarter four data um, and starting to see in our quarter one data the impacts that the Omicron wave has had. So we're not forgetting about COVID yet. It's still having impacts, but we're not going to expect another huge wave in the U.S. We're not going to expect another huge impact. Now, abroad, um, for example, in China, there's still massive impacts from COVID. So still huge lockdowns, still huge supply chain disruptions um, due to COVID. So that is still happening. That is still on our radar. Now, how this impacts forecasting. So um, with any time series forecast, the the, the past matters for the future forecast. The past data that we have where, say, the Delta variant in the summer brought down many of our economic variables, that is built into the forecast now. So all of those impacts from COVID, because COVID isn't a variable in our model, they're still going to have impacts as we move forward. So we're going to need to keep that in mind as we move into the future, that our forecast is considering those past impacts without a real variable to explain them. Sounds really promising, Bethany. I am, um, you know, I, in the news this last week, we were about Pittsburgh going back to indoor mask mandates because of rising cases. We've seen studies uh, looking at sewer data, which has been become more reliable as a tell than the testing data, as you mentioned, because people aren't taking those tests. The sewer data has shown increases um, with the latest variant. So there's a lot to, we keep coming back to this COVID discussion in our office because it, it matters because how people feel about COVID matters. And, and speaking of the way people feel, Hart, the obvious place to start here is inflation and the risk of recession. 
Well, inflation well, seems to, to just be going and going and going. We just saw some new numbers this week, right? It, it just kind of keeps going. I'm reading more headlines that say maybe we, we have a growing risk of recession while others keep talking about a soft landing. Give well, me some time yeah, to work but, I, but I get to ask Bethany a question first because she said uh, we're not, not thinking about you know, ongoing problems with COVID here. Did, didn't we say that last summer and last fall? And Yeah, well, I, have, I have a slideshow where I said, this is probably the last big wave during Delta. So that I went back and checked and <laughs> to update and I was like, oops. So we keep saying there's not, they're not expecting another big wave in the U.S., but we keep expecting things. Okay, I'll, I hope you're right this time. James, you were asking about inflation and recessions. You sound like you were describing inflation as the energizer bunny. Is it just going to keep going and going and going? And I'm going to say something between I hope not and I don't think so. It sounds a little bit like Jerome Powell, right? That inflation is transitory. And it's been funny if you look at the graphs of what they predicted for inflation a year and a half ago for today and, and how many times they've had to revise up their forecast for inflation. And they've been low every time, even though they've been constantly revising up the forecast. So inflation has been running just hotter and hotter. And it's based a little bit on what Bethany was just saying, right? Because with COVID, people switched to buying stuff. Right? You're not going out to eat. You're not going to movies. You're not. And, and some of the service sector spending, travel and leisure fell off, but people had money. You know, from all the stimulus money. So they were, they were buying things, shoes, men's apparel went nuts, used cars are the poster child. That created a lot of issues with supply chain, not the least of which was clogged ports. You know, but if I order something because I've got customers that want to buy it and they're willing to pay up because they have the cash, you've got some, some curious inflation. You've got people buying and stores can't get what they want People are bidding up the price of what is available. That's part of the inflation story. But James, you asked, how long is it going to last? What do we think going forward? What happens when these stores who have ordered as much stuff as they can order and maybe too much? Uh, because Bethany comes in and orders, wants something. So I place an order. It doesn't come in. I place another order. Audrey comes in and says, hey, I want to buy something. I place an order. Nothing comes in. I place another order. At some point, I'm going to have too much stuff. My inventories are going to be too high. And we actually saw last, last winter, right, inventories starting to build for certain items. So I guess I'm describing a, a, a bit of a boomerang effect in the supply side. And you, you might see some actual price competition, deflationary pressures in some areas. And that's what the Fed has been thinking they will see. You know, Hart, you and I have talked about and we've shared this data in the previous editions of the forecaster about how much retail square footage there is in the United States in comparison to other countries. And it's, it's phenomenally more. And we, so we, we've talked about there, there may be a realignment within the retail space and, and within that all lump restaurants and, and those kinds of places as well. And as consumer opinion cha changes on what they want to buy, how they want to buy it, but also the cost models change because as wages rise, some business models have to shift. And Audrey, you've been working a lot in the retail space and, and looking at consumer type information. What, what can you add into this discussion about inflation? Inflation is currently at a 40 year high at 8.5% through March of 2020. 
but the three-year long-term um, consumer expectations for inflation actually just fell to 3.7%. However, one-year expectations are still high for inflation, and there's really no question as to why. Supply chain disruptions haven't quite been untangled, and the war in Ukraine has risen the cost of a lot of goods. Audrey, that untangling is exactly what the Fed has been looking at. And last year, they thought the untangling was going to happen fairly quickly, so they didn't need to act quickly. Uh, they knew they wanted to raise rates just a little bit to try to move interest rates back up to uh, sort of normal, neutral, you can pick your word. But they didn't think they were going to have uh, an inflation mess on their hands because that that untangling was going to happen relatively quickly and in a relatively orderly fashion. It hasn't. And I'm sitting here saying it might. I think it will. And I might be wrong. So like, we could, is there going to be another wave of COVID? I mean, you know, it's 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 all tied together in that if there's no, not another wave of COVID, and if consumers can get back to spending money on services and less on goods, the demand comes down, the untangling happens, uh, and inflation is not as big of a problem going forward. And some people think we actually peaked in March. Uh, we're hopeful. Now, we've had some wages move up, wholesale prices have moved up, inflation is not going away as a problem immediately. It just should fade as a big challenge. And it has made people talk about recessions. And you mentioned that, James. You know, that's it's hard to imagine a recession in 22, given the strength of the labor market, given that there is still money to be spent and so on. But we've got some, some challenges, some from Ukraine. You mentioned readjustments on, on the retail side, uh, a, a possibly more expensive format, right? that are, are going to pose a number of challenges that, that uh, could all collide in, in 2023. You know, Hart, there's an old joke about a three-handed economist. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable uh, dropping this joke here and saying, we have to talk about Ukraine, right? We have three things that we want to talk about on the front end of this today. And so you bring up Ukraine and the disruption has been huge to the global market. Can you talk a little bit about how the war in Ukraine impacts our region, both short and long term? Our region, Puget Sound region, uh, you know, some directly. Uh, I don't think, uh, and I'm going to be vague because I don't know wh which businesses have direct ties because they export to or import from Russia, Ukraine. You know, you can think oil. The West Coast does or has historically gotten oil, a little bit of oil from, from Russia, uh, right? Because the West Coast oil markets, gasoline markets are not connected by pipeline to the Midwest and the East. Uh, and so, yeah, there's some oil prices, but not a huge effect. It's partly it's sentiment, it's concern, uh, disruption in other supply chains that are gonna take some time to sort out foodstuffs, grains, specific commodities, nickel, Palladium, where where there where a measurable amount comes from, parts of Russia and the Ukraine, and you're going to have to source them from Canada, Brazil, Australia. That's going to take time. Same same sort of problems we've had that have been inflationary over the past year or so, right? Hey, that's a, you're making a really good point though that I think a lot of it's lost sometimes in the in the bumper sticker conversations about how we're gonna we're gonna source more things locally or within our own country and we're gonna do we're gonna shorten supply chains. 
globalization is deflationary um and it's in economic terms and so as we do shorten those supply chains and we and we change how things are sourced that's going to just add more fire to the inflation pile right yeah i mean the disruptions and the reworking of supply chain does does add some fire to the inflation stories i i, I think if everything else was held constant you'd say that the changes you just described are going to be inflationary but i, I think you've got a number of changes with a number of goods Right, the core inflation uh, measured by the CPI was not that bad in in March. Right, you had the the headline CPI with with energy and food was what was was really high, and I guess what I'm saying is I, there are some changes underway for used car prices coming down, chips being more available and coming down. So there's some things on the inflation side that are coming down and. You've got these other fires that you're just describing. I'm, I'm thinking on balance, inflation subsides a bit by summer. You know, we're still nowhere near the two percent that the Fed wants, but it does come down. I mean, you're you're adding in another storyline because you also mentioned the re retail space, right? There, there's some things going on culturally, not just in the United States, but less globalization, less openness. That's all going to be a bit more expensive. And then on the retail side, changing retail models, less square footage in stores, different type of ordering also could be a little bit more expensive, but that's going to take a long time. That's that's not measured in months. There's actually a story on NPR this morning, right, that healthcare is taking over some some dead malls, right? You're, you're, you're seeing some adjustments in terms of retail square footage and what's happening to some of some of that space, whether it's going to office affordable housing, but healthcare as well. You're seeing those changes around us all the time. We just don't talk about them very much. And they're 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 happening slowly so they don't make the news. It's the scale and the speed, I think, that's got most people unsettled, right? I mean we're yeah. humans and humans don't like change. And so we've got a lot of structural changes happening very quickly. Um, all being caused by naturally occurring phenomenon, but it's happening at a, at a faster pace. And you know, and Bethany, that brings me to thinking about real estate and construction, right? So, and of course, when we talk about real estate and construction, it gets complicated because are we talking about residential? Are we talking about commercial? So let's start with residential for a minute, because I've seen news out talking about how we're forming a bubble in housing. What's your thoughts? Well, I feel like we've talked about there being a housing bubble in the past and i think a lot of people a lot of people remember 2008 and a lot of people are scared of there being a housing bubble i don't really see a big nationwide 2008 housing bubble happening again now there might be some pockets of different areas where we're seeing real estate bubbles that's the sort of bubble that typically happens and we can certainly be seeing that in certain areas like what i'm thinking is boise places that just absolutely exploded over over the pandemic with these houses going for insane values um and now they're starting to fall back down so we might be seeing bubbles in certain areas but are we seeing a huge nationwide bubble i think probably not more in residential markets uh we're actually seeing a little bit of cooling off um but that's also pretty common for the winter period so we're seeing more like three percent growth rates instead of over five percent um, house price growth rates. So a little bit of cooling off, whether or not that continues into the summer, we'll see. We don't expect houses, house prices to come crashing down or anything like that, but we'll see if this like winter slowdown continues. We're still seeing supply of houses being extremely low. 
Um, but we're mostly keeping an eye out on those mortgage rates um, because as those start to creep up, we might be seeing people offering less. We won't be seeing those crazy 20K over asking anymore now that loans are a little bit more expensive. So that's the main thing we're keeping an eye on. But are we seeing a bubble? Probably not. There's some fascinating stuff yesterday. Shoreline, the city of Shoreline came out and said they're, they're, they're looking at some proposals to greatly densify uh, residential zoning in, inside the city of Shoreline. So that's still, still a proposal as of today. So we don't know where that's going to go. But we've seen the same kinds of proposals other places that are looking at basically abolishing R1 zoning, which is your single family home and allowing the, the townhomes and the apartment buildings to be built pretty much anywhere to allow that density. So that's going to yeah. be fun to watch, right? As, as construction costs and people's ability to pay for housing change, those kinds of solutions become important. Exactly. And that's sort of what we're seeing now, actually, is um, we've had this housing boom happening for the past year, but construction was just not keeping up. And so now we're actually starting to see that construction pick up again. So our housing, our housing starts and our housing permits are actually really picking up now. Um, now that we have less supply constraints um, and things like that, we're actually seeing those that home construction matching that housing boom. So this morning, Bethany, I saw some data coming out about the number of commercial leases that are up for renewal in the next few years. It's pretty pretty large amount of square footage that's coming up for renewal. What's your thoughts around commercial real estate? So what we're seeing is that the return to in-person commercial real estate, that sort of stopped. So um, we saw vacancies rise rapidly at the start of the pandemic, of course, and then we saw them fall back down um, around the summer, um, summer 2021, and they haven't really fallen more since then, especially um, when we're looking in Seattle, commercial vacancy rates are hovering at about 10%, and they have been for the past year. So we're going to have, um, we're going to have people start looking at changing that commercial real estate into residential real estate, more addressing some of that um that constraint in the housing market and residential housing and, and using that vacant commercial space to address that problem and, and make those, make those profits there. Sounds, it sounds like there's going to be a space really to watch here to see how this kind of morphs out and people modify the behaviors. Definitely. Uh, we spent some time recently in some public talks that we've done addressing employment. People have a lot of questions around employment. Um, we've talked about full employment and low employment rates. So right now the, the data says that we are above full employment. So we have more people working than we probably should, which of course is inflationary, just adding more back to our inflationary fire. And we've had this really low in, uh, employment rates as well. We have low work, workforce participation rate that's slowly rising. We've talked about wage pressures and labor force participation. I'm curious for you with all of these different things that we talk about around employment, what really stands out to you when thinking about employment and where we're headed in the next year or two? James, I don't know how to answer that question because I, I don't think there's any one thing that stands out. There's an article this morning that Washington State Ferries is having a, a, a shortage. They're having trouble finding workers to staff the ferries. Right? And it, you know, that says, oh, we're having a shortage or there are these unprecedented problems. And it's not just one thing. We've got folks that are not committing to jobs because they want to know how many days they have to go to the office where they can live. We've got people that are staying home, taking care of people with COVID or have COVID. Uh, there's a small group of especially middle-aged men that are or, or a little bit older who are 
slow to come back to the, to the labor force, uh, in part because they have money. They may have been thinking about retiring early, right? You've got all of these factors. So I can't just say one thing stands out. Maybe it's your comment a few minutes ago about speed and scale, right? All of these things hitting at once and, and all of them causing a mix of problems that makes it look like there's uh, just a, a complete mess in the labor market. I don't think there is. I think the labor market's functioning fine when you look at the various incentives that people have or the challenges that they've, they've got. As we, as we look ahead, I do think we have important conversations about lack of wage growth in certain sectors, income inequality. It's really gonna be part of our discussion of an unemployment for a while. How do employers look for work? Excuse me, look for workers. How do they decide that somebody's qualified? I think the way it, it's been so easy for so many years for me to have a bad ad to try to hire somebody for $13 an hour and I find them. That's the surprising thing more than what's, what's going on today, right? Because you're, you're gonna have to rethink, how do I attract somebody? They've had, a, they've had a couple of years to uh, and some extra money to think about retraining, to think about what they wanna do. There's actually some, I, th I think in the long run, very positive disruption or churning in the labor market. Uh, it's just not fun to experience the churning, especially when you're the employer who can't find everyone at, at right, right away. I think we're going to see people coming out of retirement as COVID fades. I'm still hoping Bethany's right. You know, more people coming off of the sidelines. I, I think things smooth out in the labor market, but I hope we get to in, in the next year, three, four, six months. But I hope we keep talking about the important bigger picture things that were uh, really accentuated uh, with with COVID and the challenges over the past couple of years. Does that make sense? It does. And it's such an interesting topic. Bethany, I'm curious from your perspective, right? So you talked about it, got generations heart. You talked about how different people have different different perceptions of, of kind of the labor market. Bethany, from, from your seat, both as an economist and as a, as a person in the workforce, what do you see? What stands out to you when you look at the employment data? I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen is the number of people coming out of retirement. So early in the pandemic, when we were first talking about this great resignation, we saw this data on the percentage of people that were coming out of the workforce and they said permanently, they said they were retired and that was some 30% of them. I think that's the most interesting thing is that people were confident in leaving the workforce, they were confident in their ability to retire, and now they're coming back out. And part of that is due to inflation, right? Having in inflation be higher than usual, now your retirement fund is worth less. Um, it doesn't go as far. So now people are coming out of retirement, going back into the, into the workforce. That's more my ec economist take, I guess. And then, um, yeah, going off of what Hart said, this this whole situation has, I think, really put the power in, into the hands of the worker, having that labor shortage it is a good thing for our economy, I think. Yeah, putting yeah putting power more on the side of the worker. Normally what has happened is the employer has the power. If I, if I don't hire you, I can hire someone else. And for the worker, it's if I don't get this job, I can't pay my rent, right? So 
now it being the opposite way, we're able to talk about things like income and wages and income inequality and things like that and giving that worker a little bit more power. So I do, I agree with Hart that this is sort of a good thing, more of that pressure, upward pressure on wages at the bottom end. So Audrey, as someone who's going to be entering the workforce in the next year, right? Um, assuming we can't figure out a way to just keep you forever, but as someone who's going to enter the workforce, what, what stands out to you as you think about this and as you think about your cohort of uh, graduate students? What kind, what, what's your conversations in that look like regarding the labor market? Well, the thing that I find the most interesting and relatable is how many people are switching career paths after the start of the pandemic in 2020 and sort of the mismatch between the demand for certain jobs from the employer standpoint and then the demand for certain careers from the employee standpoint. So what I've noticed in my cohort is a lot of discussion about self-employment and people wanting to work for themselves and be their own bosses. And I think that really connects to the bigger conversation of workers' rights and the kind of jobs that we have and the demands from employers in terms of hours and how much people are getting paid. I think how much people are getting paid matters. Uh, James knows I'm fascinated by Doug the Pug. Uh, you know, just what's happening with your ability to make money with YouTube or on other platforms. And, you know, Audrey, you were saying that people want to work for themselves and set their own out. There are, there are people that aren't looking for work, but it's not because they've resigned. It's because they're doing quite well without a traditional job. And, I, you know, from a data perspective, I would love to see how many people that really is and what what's going on. Uh, I, I don't have a good feel for it. I just like Doug. He makes a lot of money. I mean, especially for a pug. Well, I'm not sure how to transition from Doug the Pug here, Bethany, but uh, we're going to do our best here. Um, Bethany, we create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers, and, and you put those together, and one should be going up here uh, fairly soon. What should I be looking forward to reading about? Well, so I do want to also remind everyone that we also have the Real Estate Index, which also goes out on the 25th of this month, but we've got those two monthly updates every month on the 15th. So what we're actually looking at for those who have read the quarter four report, it was not looking too good, but this month things are looking up a little bit more. So that's what we're looking forward to this month is our economic data is actually looking a little bit stronger now as we've come out of that Omicron crisis, um, things are starting to look up a little bit more. So, so that's fantastic. We've got some discussion about Boeing and things happening in Boeing, which is pretty exciting. But we want to keep in mind this: this is just one month of things looking up a little bit, and one one month is is not a trend yet. Good, that's a that's a fair point and a good reminder. One month does not make a trend. Well, this brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We do encourage you to follow us on social media, to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis, and to learn about other ways to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website, that's cebr.ww.edu, or by email at cebr.ww.edu with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us come speak at your event. 
After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We really want to extend our, our thanks and appreciation to Jill Poon, our producer with KDMC. She does make us sound a lot better than we sound when we record this live. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly news, newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours with Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part to keep our region in the fast lane.